As Aaron mentioned a little earlier in the service, we are continuing in our series based on questions from our students. So this week is, I was just wondering, how do I share my faith in a social and an influencing age? And I'll get to our scripture reading in just a minute, but before I do that, I want to set up the question a little bit. In 2019, a writer for a Bloomberg article reported, social media influencing has become such a part of life for young Americans that an overwhelming majority of them say that they're interested in getting paid to promote products on sites such as Instagram and YouTube. 86% of people ages 13 to 38 are willing to try out influencing, according to that survey. People in that age range are also more likely to buy things based on the recommendation of a social media influencer, rather than based on the word of recommendation from a celebrity or an athlete. So while my grandmother decided to buy life insurance because Alex Trebek said it was a good idea, someday sooner than I'd like to believe, my daughter will want to buy certain products based on the recommendations of social media influencers. That day is coming. I learned this week that millennials and Generation Z are the first generations for whom the influence of peers and friends is more powerful than um, parents and grandparents as it was for generations ahead. So the questions that each of us comes into this service with, the questions that we ask about who we are, what we do with our lives, what responsibility we have to direct our influence in certain directions, those questions might be framed quite differently depending on what generation we belong to, how we grew up, where we grew up. For some of us, the question of sharing Christ in an influencing culture isn't that pressing. We have a social media site, maybe. We log on once or twice a month to catch up on pictures with family members that live far away. We spend most of the relational time that we have in direct contact. We sit down, we have a conversation. We call someone on the telephone. We write a letter or a card or an email maybe. But whether or not our lives are online, we can think too about how we share Christ in the spheres of influence that we have. For others of us, YouTube and TikTok and Instagram are part of everyday life. Our circle of connections with people who are like us and people who aren't very much like us, those circles go far and wide. We know that the video we post or the personal story that we share in these big circles travels fast. We know what it feels like to have a surprising cluster of people see a success of ours posted on social media and come out of the woodwork to cheer us on in that success. We also know what it feels like to see pictures of our friends hanging out without us at an event that we weren't invited to. We also know what it is like to feel gobsmacked or alienated from someone we'd counted a good friend because we see a social media post that just blows our minds that they could see things so differently than we do. So, social media offers us a public platform. Whether or not we're ready for the feedback loop that will result. 
By historical standards, communicating through social media is a relatively young communication form. It's a powerful tool. It networks people all across the world. And it's wise for us to do some real-time processing with thoughtful people, people that know us and love us, who can see how these influencing tools might be influencing us. How might we use our God-given time and attention and energy and skills for God's glory in these platforms, for our own and others' flourishing? Well, long before any of the technologies that we just talked about were ever invented, came the Apostle Paul. And he was working out how to use his influence to honor God. So listen to how he describes his approach to the people that he meets in 1 Corinthians 9. Although I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, although I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Verse 19 of that passage we just read says that Paul makes himself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. What does winning mean for Paul? What's his goal? Well, because Paul starts with this posture of humble service, winning can't mean that he's looking to brag about how many converts he can claim. Because his posture is one of service, he's not suggesting that he's somehow just play-acting in a role and that he's willing to act disingenuously in order to bring people to Christ, who is, after all, the truth. No. Winning for Paul means making an investment in other people's best interest in a way that they can receive. Winning means seeing that investment result in gains for them, that they would know Jesus. That's Paul's own most valued treasure. He can't wait to see others come along and share in it too. What exactly is Paul willing to give up in order to win these people over? When he says he becomes like his audiences, does that mean he's a chameleon who just fits in to his surroundings? Does he exchange his core convictions for the sake of influence? Well, not at all. Not for a minute will Paul compromise on wholeheartedly preaching and living in a way that honors Christ. One thing this short passage shows so clearly is how excited Paul is 
the lengths to which he will go to stand on his head to communicate the love and grace of Jesus. God prepared a challenging and exhilarating path for Paul as he shared Jesus across the Roman Empire. And I wonder how eager I am to do that myself in ordinary ways. Paul holds himself loosely wherever he goes. And in that way, he becomes like those he meets. He gets to know their obstacles, concerns, preferences, joys, ambitions, fears, habits. Then all those different people that he serves, Jewish, Gentile, under the law, outside of the law, as well as those whose consciences are weak, they sense that what matters to them matters to Paul. And maybe it matters to God, too. Paul seeks to reach out to them in such a way that their particularity is recognized. Paul is not sharing Christ with them in order to gain power over them. He's definitely not trying to gain followers for Paul. He does all kinds of different things in the company of all kinds of different people so that by all possible methods and means, he might embody and proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. He doesn't want anything he brings along with him to compete or detract from the message of Jesus. The family is not full without these people. And he wants nothing more than the joy of hearing them join in the song of Christ's redemption so that the overtones vibrate out for the sake of the rest of the world. Sometimes I think we look at Paul's story and say, well, that's fine. That was Paul's story. I certainly don't have a wide field of influence in the way that Paul did. Maybe we're people who keep our circles small by necessity at certain seasons of life, by personality. Maybe we mostly talk to our family members or to a neighbor or two. And we don't think that our little lives over here in our corner will really matter too much to anyone. But multiply your indwelled, gracious influence the presence of Christ on, in your life by the number of people sitting in this room. Multi multiply that by all of the people around this city and around this country and around this world. And the influence is enormous. When we tend to a spirit-breathed awareness of God's goodness in our own lives, personally and collectively, we're ready to walk in the servant ways of Jesus and speak about who he is and what he's about, when and where and how he shows us the way. He knows the projects that he's planned for us, even when we don't. And that can give us humility and confidence and motivation to respond as his people in the situations that he presents. We can be ready to speak in unforced ways when someone asks about the reason we have for hope in a challenging world. We do it the way a healthy vine grows fruit. 
since, simply because it's been planted and tended and watered and trained to do it. Sharing what our faith means to us can happen in person, and it can also happen online. For some of us, developing content to share Christ in digital spaces is something that calls to us vocationally. Maybe the person who submitted this question is looking and thinking about working in the area of Christian communication. Lots of thoughtful and creative people are working and growing online platforms for the purpose of sharing the content of the gospel. So if that's you, you're one of the students who asked this question and you're already interested in this kind of work, you probably already know what kind of platforms are doing good work, what their guiding policies are, how they do this well. One place to explore might be Christianity Today's two-year-old podcast called Viral Jesus. The host of that podcast is a communications professor and an author named Heather Thompson Day. And she brings people onto her podcast to talk with them about the intersection of digital communication and social connections, our friendships, and our faith. They ask questions like, what's good about digital spaces? What's problematic? How can we work on the questions and the challenges and the dangers and the opportunities together with other faith-filled people? So if you are a person gifted with creativity and skills to develop online tools and communication strategies to share the, the message of Jesus meaningfully online, boy, I hope you do it. Learn everything you can. Bring your dedicated effort to that work Become all things to all people in the way that you speak Christ within that digital place. Maybe you're a person who uses your own personal social media tool to reflect, refract the light of Christ out into those who are following you on social media. Or through your phone. I've heard of people starting very small networks of text communications with friends or family members where they send a verse or an encouraging message once a week. They do it with regularity. It becomes this habit and this way of um, briefly checking in with each other to say, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about that thing you have today. Go with God, and I'm here too. I've also read social media posts from people in this church who reflect Christ's love out into the world in all kinds of beautiful ways. They're honest. Their posts are lovely. They know who and whose they are, and they don't need the social media platform to tell them that. They reflect their lived reality appropriately, honestly. Their posts allow readers a glimpse of something that God's been up to in their day-to-day -day lives. So we can share a lot of the content of our faith in a digital space, but we worship an incarnate savior. And so the living, breathing substance of our faith comes in alongside other living, breathing human people. It's interesting that as Jesus' platform grows and the crowds begin to follow him, he still needs the three. He still needs the 12. He sends out 72. If Jesus didn't conduct his ministry or his life only 
in front of a large following, then we don't dare do that either. We need relationships with people that we can count on one hand, folks that will be there for us when the chips are down and know that we will be there for them too. A few years ago, a college student named Amy Crouch and her father, Andy, wrote a book called My TechWise Life, Growing Up and Making Choices in a World of Devices. And Amy, as a 19-year-old, writes about the experience of scrolling through Instagram after a high school dance. Alongside all of those beautifully pressed suits and sparkling dresses, she's caught up short with horror when she starts seeing the pictures of herself posted online. She realized to her horror that all she could see in those photos were her flaws. I texted my friends right away, she writes. I'm just looking through all these photos and I hate them all. I wish I'd never taken any of them. And the friends respond lo quickly with love and support. Even though my friends meant well, seeing the words on my phone screen wasn't enough. I was still sitting alone in my room on my phone. And so she tries um, the kinds of things that often distract her and bring her some measure of peace. She picks up a, a game on the phone. She watches videos of people cooking. And she realizes that entertainment was only a distraction. I wasn't healed. Eventually, I realized that tech couldn't fix me, so I sent my youth pastor, Bethany, a text for help. We went to dinner together. I told her about what had engulfed me, about the dark, cold place these photos had plunged me into. She embraced me. She prayed with me. She told me about the bad photos of her own. We talked and wept and ate together. And at some beautifully invisible moment, we both just started to laugh. We saw that the smallness of these insecurities, even the very worst pain our doubts had put us through, was nothing compared to the light and love of God. Three hours earlier, I'd been sobbing on my bed, broken. And I went home with a joyful heart, full of the peace of community. This is the relief, Amy writes, you cannot get from kind texts or viral videos or games. It's the relief you feel when you bear your wounds to someone else and they reach out and embrace you. We live from the foundation of that kind of relief. That kind of a savior bared his own wounds to carry ours, to embrace us. So we don't have to hide. We aren't alone. Jesus, our Savior, became like us, not just to show us how to live life following after God, but to deliver us when we could not. Because that salvation is such a relief for us, we offer our hearts and our hands and our words and our lives to share Jesus with others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, at the end of all our striving, at the end of our wondering, what a relief to know you see us, you love us, and you are making us new so that the love that flows out of us can share your heart with the world. 
Our world is waiting for your peace. Our world is waiting. And we know one day every eye will see you coming. And we are watching. In the meantime, help us live and speak in your holy love. Amen.